Craft Beer Radio presents Bombastic Beers, Collusive Collaborations, and Tall Tales at Savor 2009 with Adam Avery and Greg Cook. Adam Avery from Avery Brewing Company and Greg Cook from Stone shared some of their archived and rare beers while having some great stories about craft beer, Avery and Stone Brewing, as well as working together. You can find the rest of the Savor Salons at craftbeerradio.com slash savor. Craft Beer Radio is a free podcast available from our website or on iTunes. Well, thanks for coming to Savor, everybody. And uh, you are one of a group who were smart enough to be quick enough to order tickets for this salon, which sold out uh, uh, well in advance. Um, a couple quick announcements uh, before we start up. Um, please keep it clean. Uh, these will be audio tape for Craft Beer Radio, and it'll be on our website <laughs> on Beer Town. So, you know, it's going to be there for a while, so keep it he's clean. He's looking at you guys, but he's meaning this right. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually not worried about this group. We're worried about Sam downstairs more than, more than anything. Uh, turn cell phones off if you can or to vibrate. And uh, remember to take your glass at the end of the session. Um, you don't leave them here. You take them because you're going to need them later. Um, this uh, uh, salon is Bombastic Beers, Collusive Collaborating in Tall Tales uh, with Adam Avery and Greg Cook. Uh, Adam Avery, um, I can tell this story since the statute of limitations is up, but Adam Avery started drinking when he was an infant. Uh, when his, his teething, his aunt used to uh, you know, give beer on the uh, pacifier or uh, beer to drink and um, to help uh, shut him up. Um, it it still works. It didn't work. It still no, works. it didn't work. It still works. Uh, Adam was a home brewer and he started Avery Brewing Company in 1993. Um, he uh, hit the map of the beer scene uh, with, when his out of bounds stout won a gold medal at the 1994 Great American Beer Festival. And he is the president and brewmaster of Avery Brewing Company. Uh, Greg Cook uh, and his uh, partner Steve Wagner started. Um, Stone Brewing Company in San Marcos, California in 1996. Uh, they also started a distribution arm at the, uh, soon after to help uh, with getting some world-class beers into the Southern California market. In December of 2006, uh, Greg opened uh, Stone Brewing World Bistro and Gardens, which is a fabulous place to waste an afternoon if you've got one. And I uh, definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, Greg is also chair of our events committee at the Brewers Association and is on our board of directors. And he is the president of Stone Brewing Company. So please join me in welcoming Adam Avery and Greg Cook. Your name starts in an A. But you're KK. Huh? Alliteration. It's on the thing. That's that way. Hey, want? everybody. Uh, first off, let's start off with the cheers. cheers. Yeah. Cheers. John, you didn't have your beer? Okay. You drank it already. Okay. Um, what's, uh, what's the first pair of beers that we got? This will warm up after a couple of beers, but we'll... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which way do we go? There you go. It's closer to me. So, yeah, there's a... Thanks for coming, by the way. Hopefully it'll be fun for y'all. We brought some pretty cool beers. I think Greg and I just decided we would bring some uh, some of the weirder stuff that we produce and uh, talk about those things and anything else you guys want to talk about. But um, first beer you got here from us is the Brabant. And... Uh, Pretty weird stuff. Um, kind of a long story behind it, so if I get too long-winded, tell me to shut up. But um, I love Brett beers. And Do we have brewers in here? How many, do we have home brewers? The Bretanomyces is, uh, is wild yeast, basically. Saccharomyces is, a, is uh, the yeast strain that, strains of yeast that most brewers use to, to create beers. And they can be typically fruity kind of flavors uh, or, you know, very, very little flavor to them. Uh, Brett tends to uh, have... Uh, those horsey flavors, those kind of barnyardy flavors, and I really like that uh, aspect um, in a beer, especially if you marry it up with some other elements in the beer. And uh, so last year we made uh, an anniversary beer, as we do every year, and we used 100% Brett beer in it called 15. So we learned a lot from that. We've been playing with Bretts for about four years. Um, we've been playing with barrels as well, so I thought we would do, we, we'd combine both. Uh, so what you get here is uh, we use two different forms of uh, Britannomyces. Uh, the first one... Um, 
is uh, the Brett Brux, which is uh, the classic Orval strain. If you've, if you've drank Orval, you'll, you may pick out some of those, uh, those uh, more horsey kind of flavors out of that. And then the second strain is a strain that I stole when I was in, uh, I mean, I borrowed while I was in Belgium. Uh, I was on a tour with some friends over there, and uh, we drank a beer uh, from Dre Fontaine, um, which uh, had, had uh, owner there, brewer, is Armand. I, I consider him to be the best blender of, of gooses, of lambics, and uh, we, we drank a beer over there. It was phenomenal. I uh, brought a couple of bottles back and painstakingly grew up the yeast that was in this bottle. So if you know about goose, goose is produced uh, wild. So in a, in, a, in a goose brewery, they would produce a bunch of wort, and they would have a cool ship, maybe say that half the size of this room, about this deep. And then they would turn on the fans and open up these louvers in their building and draw the night air in. And so they're inoculating this wort with wild yeast, you know, uh, lactobacillus, pedococcus, and all sorts of other things. So creating very, very sour flavors, creating lactic acid and acetic acid. And uh, so we got this yeast strain. We finally grew it up. So we, we have two, two yeast strains that uh, fermented this. Then we dropped it into uh, Zinfandel barrels. And I don't know if anybody uh, knows uh, Norman Vineyards, but it's a, it's a great producer of uh, huge Zins out of Paso Robles. And, um, you know, another part of the story is... Uh, this guy, Jim Norman, calls me up one day and he's like, hey, this is Jim Norman from Norman Vineyards. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, we make a wine called Mephistopheles Zen. And I was like, are you going to sue me? We make Mephistopheles Stout. So I figured for sure that he was calling to tell me that he was going to sue me. And he was like, no, 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 no. He, just, he thought it was really cool that we had the same name. And, and uh, as luck would have it, I was driving from San Diego to San Francisco the next week. And so I was passing through Paso Robles, stopped, met him, great guy. And uh, we just, I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to buy some barrels from him. So we bought about 40 barrels from him. So we put this beer into it for eight months. And uh, what you have is uh, basically a Baltic Porter recipe. If we had fermented this with Saccharomyces, it would have been basically a Baltic Porter, a very chocolatey, sweet Porter. But because the fermentation schedule, because there's some acetic acid produced, you know, the, the Bretz is producing this uh, acid, uh, you get some tanginess, some sourness. And uh, the barrels, while fairly neutral um, in, in bugs, there's probably a little acetobacter, so there's a little bit of acetic acid as well. Um, but the Zen comes through really well, too. Um, it's a very powerful... The, the, the wine that was in this was called Monster Zen. It's about a 16% Zen. So big, lots of flavors, lots of things going on. Well, the reason why we did a kind of a Baltic Porter style is like most sour beers are typically, you know, lighter in color and flavor. And I wanted to have a little bit more beer aspect coming out with it. So it's a marriage of weird Brett, big monster uh, wine and, you know, and, and great chocolate and, you know, imported chocolate and black malts. And so what you get is Brabant. And uh, it's the first in our series of uh, barrel-aged beers, and we're just going to do one-offs. So we've created about 690 cases, and that's what we'll do is we'll just keep refilling different kind of barrels, and we've got a, a ton of different barrels uh, in stock as well. That is Brabant. And Brabant is a horse, the uh, largest draft horse in the world, so it's kind of play on the horsey kind of aspect of the beer as well. Get it? I did not know that. Brabant. Gotcha. Yeah, Flemish. Um, and uh, I brought the stone. Which one is this? Oh yeah, the 060606 vertical epic ale. And um, the uh, vertical epic ale series, uh, for those that aren't familiar, uh, is a series that we started with the 020202. We released it on February 2nd, 2002. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't think of the idea in time to do it on 010101. Um, and. Uh, so we release a new edition every time that the day, the month, and the year all match. And it was kind of a, just an excuse, frankly, to go off in some different directions than we previously had at Stone. These are all, all the Vertical Epic Gale series are Belgian styles filtered through San Diego. I mean, there's a really heavy Stone influence. These aren't traditional Belgian styles. We're not taking any one style and then... Uh, making it true to that style. Instead, we're taking a lot of influence from a variety of Belgian styles and then adding our own character to it, which, of course, in in many respects, is big and hoppy. In this particular case, uh, this one is not big and hoppy. Uh, Each one of the Vertical Epic Ale series is is a different one, allowing our brewers to just constantly experiment. But they're all designed to be able to be cellared until 12, 12, 12 or after. 
when people can have the entire series is presumably some kind of party, I think. Um, so uh, a lot of times we will use the Vertical Epic Ale series to add in some rather interesting ingredients. We certainly have done some traditional Belgian-style ingredients of the coriander and the orange peel and such, but we've also used a, a wider variety. Um, we've used alligator pepper in, in some, and we've used... Uh, a, uh, last year's we, we did uh, grapefruit peel, orange peel, and uh, lime peel. Um, what does alligator pepper taste uh, like? It's also known as um, uh, grains of paradise. Okay. So it's very it's it's spicy, peppery, but it's but it's a pretty unique character. Um, and uh, we've also used um, just jumped out of my head when you asked me that question, so I'll think of it in a second. But it's a it's a fun series. Now, anybody have? Uh, any of the older vertical epic ales that we have any collectors? Yeah, how far back do you go? 2002, maybe. You've got an 02? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them I mean, different years. So. Yeah. Because the, uh, the 02, how about? An 0405. An 0405, yeah. Um, the 02, I've seen go on eBay, um, trade on eBay for 650 bucks for a single bottle, so. <laughs> It's uh, sort of. How many yourself? (laughs) Adam, if only I was that smart. (laughs) We sold them initially retail. Initially, on was about four ninety nine. The decimal point is in the wrong spot. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, But this particular edition, the O six O six O six, does not have any. Uh, ingredients other than barley, hops, water, and yeast. It, all of the flavor interplays, the really peppery and, and spicy and, and different notes are coming from the Belgian yeast strain that we selected. We write it up. You may notice I was actually looking to, to remind myself because I need the labels. The labels are, are more my own cliff notes than anything else, so I have to look what I wrote. Um, I'll actually I'll read it to you. In this year's edition, uh, you'll notice a deep, rich aroma of toasty malts, anise, Belgian yeast, spiciness, and a hint of cedar. Let's see if I can get that. Oh yeah, I totally get that. It's like a cedar chest. Cedar closet for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Oh, yeah. The toasty, dark, and roasty malt flavors combine with a soft palate, courtesy of the special, specialty dark wheat and barley malts. Ah, oh, yeah, there's, there's wheat in here. Uh, the body is fairly light for a beer of such high gravity. Let's see, this was a, um, oh, yeah, eight and a half, just over eight and a half percent. So it's a, it's a fairly big beer, um, and it's, it does have a fairly soft palate for such a big beer. Um, there's a pleasant lingering bitterness, so you know it's part of the Stone family. The sale was brewed with a specialty Belgian yeast that we're really liking here at Stone. It's the same one we use for brewing the Stone 030303 vertical, vertical Epic Ale, and as with the Stone 050505 Vertical Epic Ale. All the spicy, deep, and wonderful funky aromas and flavor characteristics in this beer come as a result of nothing more than the malt, hops, water, and yeast in, in the wheat. <laughs> and that's not even all the words on said. this label. No, by the no, way. that's uh, unbelievable. You are. Yeah. I need to. Is take that some... like four point? By the way, I mean, what size? Oh, I can. Yeah. I need like uh, reading glasses for that. Yeah, yeah. Twenty-two ounce bottles are definitely my main medium for expressing myself verbally. Um, the uh, I. Th- I'm, I'm certain that the bottles of Old Guardian barley wine um, have the most words of any bottle of beer ever. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, we all yeah. have to have our distinctions. You just one up yourself off another label, I'm sure. Yeah. So what's uh what's you got the 090909 thing going yet? Yeah, we're actually um, I've got to write the label uh, on it uh, tomorrow morning. As a matter of fact, let's see how I do. It all depends on tonight. So you'll see some of Saber's influence probably on the 09 yeah. label. All right. Um, Incomplete sentences, misspellings, things like that. Yeah, you know, it gets edited before right. it actually hits the bottle. Right. Um, 
I'm now trying to remember the tasting notes that got emailed to me from our head brewer, Mitch, and I'm not. So that's why I write it down. Mitch's recipe? Uh, it's a collaborative recipe. Yeah, you guys yeah. run tables. Yeah. Yeah, the, our, brewing, our brewing department, they, they, they all kind of get to influence and add, and sometimes it's more one person, sometimes it's a more of a collaborative effort mm-hmm. across a number of people. I really like this bottle. No, thanks. So we don't really have a formal program. I mean, I could stand up here and I could give you a talk, and I could talk about beer, and I could talk about the history of stone, I could talk about old friendship with Adam, and probably some of that will be coming out. But let's have a conversation, because I think that's... Uh, Really, what we had in mind, yeah. The question is Are these distributed in Maryland and Virginia? I can talk uh, about Stone specifically, and the answer is yes. Uh, we are currently distributed in 35 states. Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, DC, Maryland, and Virginia will get these. Uh, how about yours? But not 06, 06, 06. No, no that's this gone. Is, that's this gone. is gone, gone. sold out. <laughs> there's, there's no back cases. Yeah, we shipped, uh, I think, 24 cases of this to our, so for Virginia and D.C. So 24 counts will get one case each. We only, you know, we, most of the beer is sold in Colorado, and then we picked our 15 top. We're in 33 states, so we picked uh, our top 15 distributors and shipped them all, you know, two dozen cases for the very best Avery accounts. So we got some too, right? Yeah. yeah. I know we did because I drank. Absolutely. Who distributes for you guys out here? Uh, we're with Hop and Wine. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the beer wars. What about the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Panel discussion afterwards. Beer wars was kind of fun. How many people saw beer wars? Wow. <laughs> I, haven't wow. I haven't seen it. Not Adam. I haven't seen it. It was really good. <laughs> Were you in it? Yeah, that's why. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I'd be interested in hearing what you, what you guys thought of Beer Wars as, as well. It was really a bit surrealistic from my perspective with all the pre-event. Uh, we, we arrived several hours early. And uh, well, I went through two rounds of makeup, uh, which is odd. Todd Alstrom had to go through like three or four to work on his uh, the shine on his dome. Um, it was pretty funny. And, and we here we are. Uh, none of us had seen the movie. Um, in fact, Annette Barron, the filmmaker, specifically didn't allow us to to know anything about it. And she was uh, wanted us all to just kind of experience it uh, on the spot for the first time. And interestingly enough, in the back in the green room, there was a monitor, and it was just showing some clips, and it was some of the same clips that had been shown on the internet. And, and then some clips uh, started rolling, and it showed uh, Todd and his brother Jason talking, and then it cut to a, a graphic of the moonshot beer. And I was sitting back in the green room with Todd, and he saw that, and he's like, oh, they are going to use that clip. And a moment later, Annette walks back there, and she sees some of this stuff rolling, and she, she freaked out. She literally went and pulled the plug on the TV to turn it off because somebody didn't communicate, and it was accidentally being shown because they were actually doing the test on the main, and this monitor would just happen to be connected to the main. But, uh, yeah, so Todd knew a couple hours ahead of time that that was going to show up. And uh, he remembered the clip pretty clearly for what he said. And he was like, well, that's how we felt about it. And they both handled it. He and Rhonda both handled it very, very well. But uh, what did you guys think of Beer Wars? It was good. Um, I was surprised by the film discussion afterwards. It felt a little uh, more contentious than I thought it would be. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> acoustics are so good in here. Um, they are. No, I was surprised by how it felt a little punchy uh, up on stage, especially when uh, the conversation turned towards size and the growth conversation about between you and uh, Sam at Dogfish Head. Um, were those fair questions? And you know, now we have Sam Adams that's about to grow beyond two million barrels. I mean, well, you know, the. the th- Think about it, Maureen Ogle, who wrote the book uh, Ambitious Brew, uh, The History of Brewing in the United States. Fascinating book. I, I recommend it. It's really great reading. 
and um, it, it really captivated my imagination as I read this. Now, these are companies, you know, the old line, um, there were captains of industry back in the day. I have no urge whatsoever to, the, to be a captain of industry. I'm, that just, in, in fact, it's almost the opposite. It's having lived through the results of and grown up to the results of the captains of industry in food and, and uh, you know, whether it's uh, the processed cheeses of the world or the Wonder Breads of the world and so on. These are what I actually am wanting the other side. You know, I like the artisanal side. That's what fascinates me. It's what really captivates my imagination. And that's the side that I decidedly entered in on for the brewing industry. And I became a beer geek first, and then I became a professional brewer years later. So when Maureen suggested that, oh yeah, just another 10 years, you watch, you guys are going to go down the same path, it's all about, you know, that was, she, she decided she was going to go from being a historian to a futurist, which um, was, was, she was off base. I mean, I, I found it, I, I've had good arguments with Maureen, and it's not discussions with Maureen, unfortunately. It's, she only knows how to argue. She does not discuss very well. Yeah, please. And so I've had, but I've had good um, arguments with Maureen, and Thanks. she is just so certain about her opinions about the future. I mean, she knows the past. There's no question about it. And I'm a believer. I tried to discuss with her. Actually, it was at the GABF. I uh, was spending some time talking to her last year. And she is certain that the big brewers were only answering demand by the lightning and lightning and lightning over you know several generations um, of beer in America, and that that was a result of just what the the public demanded. I don't I don't buy that. I don't have historical hard facts that I can look at, but I believe that the brewers, as they you know realize you can save that incremental cost here and there, that to lighten your beer and to make it cost a little less money. I, my, my theory is that if you figure out how to save uh, 10 cents per you know, unit or something like that in cost and dedicate 6 cents per unit back in marketing, that's a 4 cents per unit benefit to your bottom line that you can market, if you market anything big enough, clearly, you can, you can um, start to, to change the, what people's perception. So people never had the opportunity to taste good you know, for generations or, or very rare tastes. So, you know, Anchor would be, of course, the shining star example of opportunity. All right, Adam, Greg, uh, what do you have for us for the second beers? Jesus Christ, look at all that. <laughs> <laughs> sure that Could you read that one? I, can't, um, I cannot read it. That's the thing. <laughs> Well, uh, between the two of these, which one should we taste first? Well, the uh, the cool thing about Hog Heaven for me is um, this really put us on the map in, in a lot of different ways. So we've been in business since 1993. My dad and myself started this really small brewery. We started on $90,000. We had these little tiny seven-barrel Grundy tanks, and we had 1,500 square feet. And, and a lot of hours to work in a day, I guess, is what it comes down to. So, uh, you know... We struggled for a long time. As a matter of fact, we didn't make money for the first nine years of business. And uh, it's not like we're rolling in it now, but uh, at least we can, you know, we've got great employees and uh, things are better. But uh, things are really tough in, uh, say, you know, from 93 to basically 1998. And we were like, oh, you know, is this really going to work? You know, Dad and I were like, I'm not making any money. Um, but obviously it was my passion. I mean, like, I'm, I'm a home brewer and just kind of gone berserk. And, you know, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to see this through. We're going to make it work. And I thought, you know, if we're going to make this happen, we're going to make it happen. If we're, we're going to go down, we're going to go down brewing the beers that I really, really, truly want to make. And uh, at that time, um, you know, Sierra Nevada is, and still is, I mean, I look at Ken Grossman. as a, He's definitely a mentor. And, uh, you know, we were drinking a lot of Bigfoot at the time, which was an extremely hoppy aggressive beer and uh, you know one of my brewers was like you know we should make a big barley wine like that just you know hop the hell out of it and you know go for broke and I was like you know that's a great idea so we made this beer back in 1998 before well I guess Vinny had made a double IPA but I didn't know Vinny then I didn't know anybody in the business basically we were you know pr- people were pretty much well to themselves this collaborative effort kind of stuff has only just you know come into vogue in the last few years um, but we make this beer in 1998 and it put us on the map and so 
Tommy Arthur, who's you know Port Brewing Company next door, he uh, this you know this I call him a kid because he is kind of a kid to me. But he kept calling me. He's like, "Hey man, I had this beer. Somebody brought one. I want to have it at our Strong Ale Fest." And I don't know if you guys have been able to the Port Strong Ale Fest, but it's a fabulous event and uh, highly recommend it. And uh, so we started shipping uh, kegs of beer to him for this event. And the gentleman to my right drank that beer uh, at one of these fests, and he called me in 1999, and he said, hey, Adam, you know, this is Greg at Stone Brewing Company. Hey, what's up? And I had never met him. And he's like, hey, uh, I had one of your beers, and uh, we have a little distribution company uh, in Southern California. Would you mind, could we buy beer and sell it for you? And I, you know, at that point in our lives, I was like, anybody that called and said, I want to buy beer from you, we were signing documents, you know, we're like, you know, oh, you want to buy beer? Yeah, whatever. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's... uh, this this beer and then and and Greg's company, Stone Brewing Company, is actually our. It, it varies, but usually he's our first or second largest out-of-state distributor. So they've steadily grown this. So they started with just one brand ten years ago, and uh, slowly as they grew their company, they grew into our portfolio, which is you know obviously large and kind of unwieldy for a lot of people. But because they have a similar kind of portfolio, it really it's really worked out well. Um, I do remember the first time uh, that I came out for a, a sales meeting, or at least the first time that you were in one, and we were sitting in that little that little office. Everybody's packed in, and right. and uh, Greg's sitting there just drinking a beer, and he's like, "God, man, he's like, I really like this beer." And I'm like, "This is so cool that he really likes it." And then I tell, then I was like, "And it's 100% Columbus hops." And and I remember you looking at me, going, "You're like, I don't like beers with 100% Columbus hops." And I said, "You do now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it I is, had thought that I was not a fan of Columbus hops. Yeah, it's it's 100% Columbus so hops. Use it. So it's a very aggressive hop. In Boulder, it's known as liquid marijuana. If you put your nose into it, you know, hops and you know, weed are basically cousins, and it's a very small family there. Uh, but if you put your nose into it, it's very, very, very dank, um, you know, uh, resiny and uh, kind of stinky. And so, yeah, it's 100% Columbus. So over 100 IBUs, um, lots of bitterness, and then uh, we dry hop it with almost three pounds per barrel of Columbus. So it is a, it's a massively hop beer. So some people want to call it a double IPA or imperial IPA. I, you know, I don't care. I think there's still enough malt structure in it that uh, it, it's, at, let's call it the upper end of American barley wine, you know, that's you know, been uber hopped. Um, and if push came to shove and people ask me, what's your favorite beer? I usually say, well, they're all my kids, you know. But I would say that if I was on a desert island and I could only have one beer for the rest of my life, it would be hog heaven. Because it, it has so much. It can do so many things. Super cold, it can be that really devastating IPA. Warm it up a little bit, it does become more barley wine-like. And it ages quite well for being a very hoppy beer. Normally quite hoppy beers, I think, age very mediocre. But this one, for some reason, can, it, it, it ages fairly delicately. So, um, And I believe this one's fairly fresh. I, have. I love this beer. I, I can still remember that story he was telling. And, the look uh, on your face, too. You're just like, I was like, 100% Columbus, and you're like... Um, I didn't remember that particular point. But... <laughs> it's burned into my psyche, my friend. Uh, yeah, we're, we're actually... Hey, but thanks for buying a bunch of beer from me. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Dad says hi, too. Yeah. But I think it's cool, you know. Here you, yeah, and, and I have, you know, I, I travel and people are like, well, who's your best distributor? I'm like, Stone Brewing Company. They're like, what? I, you know, another brewery sells your beer? And, and I'm like, yeah. Another brewery sells our beer, you know, and there's niches for us. And um, I mean, their salespeople love selling our stuff. And you know, we're, we're we have a lot of seasonals, so it's pretty it's pretty good business where we ship in, say, a bunch of Maharaja, and boom, they split it out, and um, you know, they, they make money. And they, you know, I guess for Stone, the business model is they wanted to sell their own beer, and I understand that 100 percent because. I wish I could sell our beer, but I'm not a distributor, and I don't know necessarily if you are, but you have people that know how to do it for sure. Um, but to have total control over your product is huge in a brewery. So I have the second best situation because I have another brewery taking care of my beers the way that I would take care of the beers, you know, at least as well, I would say. And so um, it's been a great relationship, and, you know, it does freak people out, when, especially, you know, in other parts of the country. I think that there's, you know, I think the industry as a whole, as Sam Caligione says, it's 99% asshole free, and uh, it, it truly is. But there's there is a movement towards you know breweries helping each other and you know becoming you know uh, you know working together for a common good, which is promoting craft beer, promoting what we all do. And some people get that. I would say the majority of people get it. Some people don't. There's some you know some people who are like thinking about you know the five percent that they that we have and trying to get a piece of that instead of guys like Greg and I are looking at it and say, 
screw the crumbs. You know, there's 95% of the business out there. Let's start, you know, eating into that. And uh, collectively, we do a much better job. We're more powerful. Way more powerful. I mean, we, you know, individually, we are we're nothing. And collectively, we're literally almost nothing. The only thing that we have are, are one, great beers that are flavor-driven, not market, you know, marketing-driven, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, a, and a passion for what we do. You know, the established breweries are, you know, they're commodities and they're, they're treated as such. Whereas, you know, you buy beer from Gregor, for me, you know, you're buying it from a home brewer. You know, in reality, that's what we are. We just kind of bought bigger systems, uh, you know, became a lot more involved with, uh, you know, quality control concerns. And, you know, as we grow, you know, our beers get better. You know, I think that everybody that is in our business would say that every day, any, if you're still in business now, your beers are a lot better than they were last year or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Sometimes I wonder how your the hell... Your certainly improved. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I take that in the right way, too. But, no, I, sometimes I think back about how I was making beer 16 years ago and the way we do it now, it's like, you know, it's night and day. I think that you could get away with a lot more back then than you can now. I mean, now you have to have, you know, the... The, the scientific side, you know, working to your advantage too. You just can't tell a story and have a cool beer out there. I mean, you got to do it consistently, and that's the thing that you know this industry is. You know, in the last you know five to what five six seven years, that's what everybody's really kind of focused on: getting the right people, stealing people from Budweiser to run your brewery, which is was a smart thing. With we Mitch. stole him back. He was in craft. Oh. Then he went off to the evil side, and then uh-huh. and then we stole him back. He's, he's home now. Right. Right. So anyway, you know, uh, yeah. I have a question on distribution. Do mm-hmm. you have any problem with uh, consolidation and the distribution affecting the uh, distribution of your beers around the country? It's, you know, it's, it's a changing landscape. Um, and whenever you've, you've got all these big puzzle pieces moving around and sometimes smaller puzzle pieces becoming... Well, most of these guys are... Are monstrous compared to you guys. I mean, the distributors, they're most of them are, you know, well, handling many, many lines, many beers. Right. And uh, each one of your beers is a small percentage of, of their market. Now, of course, you market a lot of your own, but here in the East Coast, for instance, you, you obviously are using the distributor. And, yeah. and how is that affecting your, your ability to get the beers out? Well, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, the beers that Adam and, and I brew uh, are more on the pole side. That's how we really work. So the, by the pole side, when they, uh, there's a beer on a tap handle or on a six-pack on a store shelf, the consumer is the one who is taking the main, uh, is, is the main influencer. They, they're asking for it, and when it's there, they're buying it. That's the pull. Now, the push is when uh, a large... Um, a major wholesaler, like was uh, identified in Beer Wars movie, is putting way more emphasis on the push, getting it on the store shelves, pushing other things to the side, and it may not be something that consumers are very interested in. So it's this this muscle, right? Uh, so today, like today, very very recently, craft brewers have been enjoying more push assistance from wholesalers and large wholesalers because they are now seeing the benefit. There were some early adopters and wholesalers that did it because of the love of it. They saw the, the, the benefit. They, they, and, and now more recently, it's, um, most wholesalers are seeing it. It's a very profitable segment. We have a, a, a large wholesaler in the room. I'm not going to point them out. Um, so I'm definitely uh, Adam will. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's great because uh, these are our partners in taking the stewardship of our beers. Um, we don't have the sheer muscle that the large international conglomerate brewers have, but we've got, you know, that, that, that heart, that, you know, that, that passion. And a lot of wholesalers now will have sort of the passionate department. Some of them are old line, you know, they, in a company, they don't have the benefit like our company of having nothing but passionate people. They have people that have been working for their companies that probably on their own personal time they will choose the light-branded beer voluntarily. Never been able to figure that one out. But 
But, you know, they'll often now have divisions within their company where it's the guy that will, you know, wouldn't just wouldn't drink it even when they're at an official company venture. They're like, ah, no thanks, because they're very passionate like us. So it's a changing landscape. Yeah? Two questions. One, any thought of doing a real breath and just opening up your windows and putting in reverse fans? like Rob Todd did, right. experiment with. And the other, any thought to growing your own hops and barley, which I'm finding a bunch of breweries are doing, including Sierra Nevada and uh, we've, we've, we've done the, uh, the inoculation, you know, the, the, the overnight inoculation. And, I mean, it turned out okay, but for me, it, and that's really cool. I think as long as what you get, the end product tastes good. But for us, you know, we found the bread that we think, you know, works really, really well. So, but we, yeah, we have done it and it, and it works. Um, but it, it wasn't as good a product. The Brabant would not be what it, what it is if we had used the Colorado wild strain. But we do it, we've tried it in different times of the year because I'm sure that the, the, the yeast content is different at different times of the year. And that's, you know, in, in, over in Belgium, I mean, they only brew in a certain time of the year. So they get fairly consistent, you know, quote, you know yeast out of that. Um, but we're, you know, for, at every brewing company, I, I like to think of ourselves as, you know, we're scientists. You know, we, we really dig into our beer. So we do cra- things that other people would think that are crazy, which is we have all these barrels. And we're plating our barrels like we would plate all of our regular tanks to see, you know, to make sure that what's growing in there, what kind of bugs we have, that sort of thing. Um, I like to know what's going on in my beer all the time. Um, And it's a lot easier to know, you know, what that breath is going to do in a beer because we played with it in in many, many different ways and different kind of, you know, malt combinations, different uh, wood combinations. Mm -hmm. So... um, yeah, I just I think you have more control if you're you know if you're if you're growing up your yeast and pitching it as you would like a, a regular Saccharomyces. For me, we haven't done it, but it's literally a fantasy of mine. I, I'm serious. I've been dr- dreaming of ways to make it happen. We do not want to bring those bugs into our brewery as it stands. Um, I should uh, hold hold the thought for a second. I could, should talk about the okay. Yeah, the how about growing your own ingredients? Uh, let me come back to that. Let me just talk, because I'm almost out, and I think most of you guys are out of the, yeah. the 12th anniversary. This, this is a 12th anniversary bitter chocolate oatmeal stout, just as it sounds. Uh, we used uh, completely unprocessed cocoa nibs, or it's actually called in the uh, chocolate industry cocoa liquor, although it's solid. Um, and uh, so there's no dairy and no sugar that's been, uh, that was added, uh, and it was unprocessed. And... We got in literally pallets of it, and it was a it was quite something to, to brew with it. Um, we made this uh, right in the heart of the hop crisis that we re- recently went through. And typically, our anniversary ales are extraordinarily hoppy. They're just a real good excuse for us to go out into some uh, out of the, the normal bounds. And so we did this. Essentially, replacing the bitterness that you would get from hops with bitterness that you would get from bitter chocolate. Uh, there are hops in this beer, but uh, proportionally, it's, it's quite modest uh, for one of our anniversary beers. The uh, oatmeal gives the real nice softness to the palate. Um, I don't, you know, don't know how long this will age, but I suspect this will age past my lifetime uh, if properly cellared or refrigerated. Um, and I got to look to the bottle reminder of what the ABV is. Uh, 9.2. 9.2. And this year, for our 13th anniversary, it's we're brewing a, for lack of a better descriptor, it's a imperial red, um, and it will be the hoppiest beer we've ever brewed. Um, we are putting more hops in it than per barrel than, than we ever have before, and we're also dry hopping it twice. We've done that for some special cask beers. And draft beers, but we've never dry uh, done it for a bottled beer, um, and it's going to be should be interesting. I look forward to it. That'll be released at the end of next month, about one month from now. Oh, and then uh, hops and barley. Well, we do live in San Diego. Um, we're a little shy on water. Uh, there are some varieties of hops that uh, do well in dry climates. We, we've got them growing all over our gardens. Uh, but as far as actually growing them on a commercial basis, the fact of the matter is, other than brewing, uh, using them for a harvest style, a fresh hop ale, 
um, there are no processors, so we'd have to ship them up to Yakima to get them uh, pressed and uh, so that they could then last throughout the year. Yeah. Right. But there are some people in Colorado growing hops there. Yeah, they're they're growing them down in the uh, San Luis Valley. Right, and Gorst is processing. Yep, I think Odell's uh, had a big play in that. Um, yep. We we like I love the idea of growing our own hops and barley, but the fact of the matter is, if we're going to look at it from a green perspective. It is far more green to let the existing growers do it because they do it so much more efficiently. It'd be very inefficient water usage and fossil fuels, um, even doing it organically, which is actually the only way we would do it if we were growing in Southern California. So it's more anecdotal. Look, this is what a hop plant looks like. We're going to show you some. We're going to put in some and some casks. I love this hog, Evan. Oh, thanks. Quick question. I started homebrewing at age 18, which was just a couple years ago. So I could get beer underage, but that's a different story. But I've always been afraid, started touching on it, to introduce Brett into my homebrewing environment. And I'm wondering if on a commercial level, a small scale like you guys do, is that a concern or is it easier to deal with? Well, it's, it's unquestionably a concern, and that's the reason why we don't do it. Also, the, the co-reason why we don't do it is we are so busy trying to keep up with our existing uh, beers uh, that we don't have a lot of room in our production schedule to do uh, Brett beers. Um, but I, I like the idea. I'd like to, at some point, open up in a completely unique brewing facility that was all very old world style just to do funky beers. Yeah, because they really want to. They, I think funky beers, um, you know, in their very best life it, are, are done in a way that's very old world. It's got a lot of story around them and history around them. And you can give them the time. Because you can do some amazing ones. I mean, how long did it take you to make a uh, uh, Not Nine or ten months. Nine or ten months. Which, old world, by old world standards, is lightning speed. And by the rest of our beer standards that we're serving here tonight, did, I think. Two or three. Oh, well. Yeah, it is, is quite long. So, but I would love to be able to do it where you literally, you won't taste the spat for years, and then you'll blend it and so on. So it's a long-term project. And I'll say from doing it, yeah, it scares the shit out of me, and, and it should, rightfully so, because Brett doesn't want to die. I mean, it's a really, it's a really hard, you know, it, it's pretty hardy little thing. Um, but if you have your processes, I always say, if you're worried about not being able to get rid of Brett, then you have an issue already at the brewery because you don't have, your cleaning cycle's not, you know, sufficient. Because there's other things that want to live even more than Brett do that are a lot worse for your beer. So, but we do take extra precautions, and I would say that everyone that I know that does anything with Brett, if they run it through their bottling line, for instance, they're going to do like a, you know, we call it a, a nuking. You know, we're going to go through at least three cleaning cycles instead of the one. Um, any hoses that are used or any tank that's used is getting, you know, triple cleaned. I mean, we, you know, we definitely are going through. We know that there's a lot, you know, there's, 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 there could be some big issues, but I don't think that there is, you know, big as some people, uh, you know, make them out to be. If you wanted to, yeah. But I mean, I always say, well, if you're going to use separate fermenters, are you saying that? Oh, these don't have to be as clean. Right. You know, it's like you're. Or, you know, it's like it doesn't make sense to me. It's like the, it's either clean or it's not clean. You know, it's, you know, whether it had bread in it or not doesn't really matter. I mean, some of the other bugs are a little bit more scary. You know, Pediococcus obviously is one that, you know, if it gets in your brewery, that's hard to eradicate. And, uh, you know, that's one that I'm not that psyched on bringing into the brewery. So, And I don't think that it adds enough to a beer to, to, to bring it in. Now, the, the gentleman next door would say that I'm freaking crazy, uh, you know, Vinny, because I mean, he loves Pediococcus. But I think that you can get most of the same flavors without like diacetyl production and a bunch of other things that PDO brings to the table just through, you know, lacto, uh, lactobacillus. And uh, you'll see some of that too. So as these barrels, as our barrels become uh, neutral, they're going into a sour program, you know, so where there's not as much barrel influence on them and it's more just a, you know, sour, that, that goozy kind of flavors. But don't be afraid of Brett. It's not the big bad Brett now. Don't be afraid of it. Don't, yeah, yeah. Brew with it. It's I mean, really I nice. brew with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, go out there and spread the word because, I mean, it's such a small niche. I mean, 
it's, it's such a crazy flavor, and not a lot of people get it. But And I'm not saying that's going to be the next greatest thing. I, I have a hard time believing that you know, it's going to gain any kind of market share. But it does help. You know, it, drives, uh, you know, it drives the beer geek community, guy, beer geeks like me who you know, want to have, you know, is the end thing, uh, you know, is the end beer now a double IPA, which is what everybody's drinking? I mean, where do you go from, you know, you can only use so much hops. So what's the other direction that we go in? And my hope is that we go into the extreme small beers and that's what I would love to see where you have 4% beers that are super packed with flavor, you know, and, but you're not getting drunk or I, I still want to get drunk, but I don't want to get drunk on six beers. I want to drink 12 beers, you know, like I want to drink all day and have the same hangovers the day, you know, as six beers. Does that make sense? Does that math work for to you? you? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like Piglet Purgatory is a perfect example. We make a beer that is half a hog heaven. And so it's, it's half the gravity. It's a little over 4% alcohol, almost the same amount of dry hopping. But it's, you know, you know super low alcohol, low calorie. I make it in the summertime for myself because I like to try to stay in shape, ride a bike, rock climb. But I still want to drink beer, you know. And so, and every time I go to reach for a beer, I'm like, man, I'd really like to drink Maharaja because it's got a lot of hops. It has everything I want, but it also has 10.5% alcohol. You know, so you can only have one or two or six, you know, whoever you are. Um, but, you know, and the same thing goes for like, that, I think that's why I really like sour beers and gooses, small gooses that are five, six yeah. percent. You have something that's, you know, palatable, you can drink a lot of, sessionable beers, but they have tons of flavor. You know, it's not just, nothing wrong with pale ales or amber ales, but, you know, I want something that sticks out and like, it's just so flavor driven and like smacks you across the head. So if you can imagine a beer that has half the alcohol of hog heaven, but all the hops, it's really bitter. It's very, very floral. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's a different style of beer. That's what I hope. I mean, I would hope that we're, we're, there's going to be another extreme, uh, you know, section of beers, and it'll be small beers. Extreme small beers. I like yeah. Yeah, it's fine. You'll see, you'll see every, any and everything coming out these days. I mean, a lot of people are getting into Brett's and into sour beers, so there's going to be a lot to choose from. Can you guys talk to us about the collaborative beers uh, that are in our glasses now? I only have one. I only have one, too. I think it's yours. Uh-huh. It's got the spice in it. Yeah. You want to go first? Uh, sure. So this is one that we brewed with uh, a couple of our friends, uh, Ron Jeffries of Jolly Pumpkin, uh, who's brewing only barrel-aged beers uh, that have a um, variety of uh Yeast and, and or other organisms that come from his area in, in Dexter, Michigan, and Shetel uh, Jakun uh, from the Nibia Brewery in uh, Grimstad, uh, Norway. I love saying that. God, how do you say that? Um, Is it the beers? Say it again. Shetel uh, Jakun. Shetel. You know how to spell it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> K-J-E-T-I-L is his first name. Jettel. And uh, his brewery is uh, Nig News. It's the O's with the, the slash through them, and, and it's kind of an E sound. And it means naked island. And I got a chance to, to meet him only just a little over a year ago in Tokyo. Um, I was doing a uh, beer promo at a great beer bar in Tokyo called Bar Sal's. And I meet this, this bear of a man, and uh, he was really friendly, and it was this guy that had been hearing about this new, new brewery. And so we, we met, and then I saw him again very shortly after um, at the Craft Brewers Conference. They happened to be in San Diego. And it was then that I started hatching a plan to travel to Norway that summer. So I went to Norway last summer as a vacation, and of course I dropped by and spent some time with this brewery. Um, and I actually I posted a V-blog you can find on YouTube that's uh, uh, pretty cool, and you get to see a little bit of his brewery and see what Southern Norway is all about. So we invited Ron and Shetel to do this, this beer. Uh, this is our special holiday ale, the very first time that we've actually done a, a, a holiday beer. Uh, this beer has ingredients from the, the areas of each one of our breweries, so it's got some Michigan chestnuts, it's got some uh, juniper berry from, uh, from Europe, and it also has some Southern California sage in it, as well as uh, some rye and um, some oats, and we also put in, I'm forgetting now again. Uh, it's on the bottle. It's not on this bottle. 
Each one of the, each one of the bottles uh, we, we gave to the different guys. Mitch Steele wrote one, Shetzel wrote one, and Ron wrote one. And this is Ron's, which I can actually read in a very short amount of time. Ron submitted a haiku. It reads, Triad formed, Saged Hills speak slowly, a beer born. So that is a haiku. Um, and so what's really fun about this is that we're going to brew it again at Nunya uh, this summer, and it will be released uh, here in the U.S. in very limited quantities uh, this holiday season. And then we just brewed a month ago, um, the Sunday after the Craft Brewers Conference, Shetel was in the United States, and uh, Steve, my partner, and Mitch, our head brewer, um, flew to uh, Dexter, Michigan, well, they flew into Detroit and drove, but, and they brewed it there. That one won't be released for a year and a half because it's going through Jolly Pumpkin's barrel-aging souring program, so you'll be able to taste a soured version of this in a year and a half. It'll take that long. So we'll be doing three versions, same essential recipe in each one of the places. It'd be kind of cool to see That'd how really that, that does. Yeah. I wish I had the video to show for this oh, beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, actually, there's a. Have you guys uh, heard about or seen the I Am a Craft Brewer video? Yeah. yeah. How many people? Just not too many. We're actually going to show it tonight on the main floor at 8 o'clock. So on the big screen, Adam, of course, is a, is a part of it. Um, so at I Am a Craft that video lives, as well as my uh, keynote speech that I gave last month to the Craft Brewers Conference, and I did some special video pieces with some help, of, you know, a little help from my friends. And you get to see this guy and Vinny together. Uh... Well, we were in bed together. Yeah. yeah. Over this beer. Over this beer. Um, both literally and figuratively yeah, in bed yeah, together. Yeah. No, so Vinny I, met, uh, Vinny, I met like in 2000 at the Great American Beer Fest, and, uh, or 2001, somewhere in there. And I made a beer called Salvation, and I realized quickly that he had a beer called Salvation as well. So the first thing we talked about, really, when we met, I was like, hey, you know, we both have a beer, Salvation. He's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, what are you thinking? He's like, it's no big deal. You know, I don't, I'm not worried about it. Are you worried about it? I'm like, no, I'm not worried about it. He's like, but let's do something someday. So Vinny and I have become really, really good friends, and uh, we... Uh, we were like, well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll think about doing something together, uh, some kind of collaboration or something. And, and uh, so I think in 2004, I went out and saw his brew pub. And uh, I remember it very succinctly because I had driven all the way from San Diego to San Francisco without one road soda. I mean, there was not one beer consumed on that whole drive. I get out of, the, I get out of his brewery. You're a strong man. I know, I know. And I get Everybody's it. Everybody's out of I know, I know. I know. I was like, yeah, I'll drive. Uh, so, internal fortitude. So I get out, and the first thing he hands me is a 20-ounce of Pliny the Elder, and he said that I drained it faster than anybody had ever seen. So anybody had Pliny the Elder, it's like one of my favorite beers. Um, but so we sit down at his pub, and I had brought some salvation, and he had his salvation. So we sit down at a table, and we're, you know, getting kind of drunk. and we're, But we're sitting there, you know, m- making up these different, you know, mixtures of, you know, percentages of mine and his. And so we hit upon what we think is a really good, you know, mixture. And uh, so this is 2004, and then... Um, I think in 2006 or somebody called from uh, New Brewer Magazine and uh, was asking questions about it because they'd heard rumblings that we were going to do something together. And so I told them what was going to go on and somebody wrote a story about it and the beer had not been made yet. So I called up Vinny. I was like, Vinny, we're kind of screwed. We actually have to do this now. Uh, so he flew out, you know, and we had just bought some new tanks, so we actually had some capacity at our place. So he flew out to our brewery, brewed his beer the way that he makes it at his brewery. We got all his ingredients, which are totally different than ours, so it was kind of hard to get all, everything together. But brewed his beer, we brewed our beer, and we did a, a blending of it. And, uh, you know, we came up with, uh, at that, that, in 2004, when we were sitting there, Natalie, his wife, came up with the name because we were sitting there drinking. She was like, we need to call this collaboration, not litigation ale. And we were like, that's it. And we wrote it down, the back of a, a Pliny the Elder, you know, a coaster, because uh, we'd forget. And, uh, you know, we put it away. And so this is what you get. I mean, again, it's just, you know, it shows, I, I, not too many industries would you have people who wouldn't sue each other over beer names. And actually, there's a lot of that going on in our industry, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it's, it's happened to me, and it's, I'm sure it's happened to other people. But um, it's just cool that, you know, 
again, this industry is uh, it's such a brotherhood of, um, you know, we've got one common goal, which is, you know, to, to push craft beer as far as it'll go, you know, and to teach people that, you know, beer, as my friend here would say, it doesn't have to be yellow fizzy beer, you know, it, can, it, it should have flavor, you know, it should have, it shouldn't be the, the lowest common denominator, you know, it should be the maximum, and, you know, and, and a lot of things in between, obviously. Um, Speaking of uh, fizzy yellow beer, yeah. I think uh, everybody in this room deserves a fizzy yellow beers for wussies sticker. Oh, so, Rick, did you bring some? Yeah, I got some. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. And by the way, I also uh, brought a copy of uh, the brand new DVD we just had pressed. Um, I think they're going to be handed out. Uh, this has a variety of things on it that are, we, we did with uh, the guys that helped us make the I Am A Craft Brewer video. Um, just kind of cool tour through stone and such, so uh, everybody gets a copy. I didn't bring anything for y'all, sorry. You brought beer. Yeah. Shining, uh, shining personality. Question? Do you plan to work with Mickler anymore, and what do you think of his uh, gypsy brewer approach? Um, we did our very first um, try collaboration with uh, uh, Mikkel from Mikkeler. Is, uh, he's based in Denmark. We did it with uh, him and uh, Peter Zan of Alesmith in San Diego. And, you know, it's a, I used to be very, very, very anti-contract brewing. In, in my philosophies, I just thought contract brewing usually was nothing short of uh, smoke and mirrors and and saying, you know, this is the city that uh, we put on the name of our label, and it's actually brewed states away by some brewery with excess capacity. And I kind of, as a consumer, was in, was offended with that. Well, today there are new models being employed. The, the brewery is talking about this this guy named Mikkel, uh, Mikkel Bjorgsvitsje, and uh, he's, he's Danish. And um, he's, <laughs> later tonight. And my K K E L B J O R G B J E R T S J E. Ha ha. Okay. So. Um, he he doesn't actually he's he owns a brewery or a brand, uh, but he doesn't have a brewery himself. He just goes to all these uh, new new brewery and I mean I and he's come and he's brewed with us and uh, I think it's cool. M- mostly it really gels with my whole uh, philosophy of he, he's straightforward about it. He, he doesn't hold. Uh, in, in other words, you want to know where the beer is brewed? He tells you. I mean, it, it's it's plainly obvious. And and I don't like it when you require when special knowledge or insider knowledge is required to know what the true story is. That bothers me. When when the, what somebody would commonly think is the true story and what really is the true story, they're different. I don't like that as a consumer. I want to I want to know. Um, so I think it's kind of cool. Yeah does things in different ways that would have never contemplated. But do you plan on working with the guy? No current plan. I would, but no current plan. Uh, as I look back on the history of uh, craft brewing, let's say prior to 1990, we saw everybody into emulating uh, British beers came over here and everybody was making IPAs and so forth. Afterwards, we saw everybody moving into more highly hop beers as the West Coast guys took over. And then ultimately into the, to the Imperial and Doubles. Now we see, after you guys went to, the, to Belgium, a lot of Belgium, a lot of Bretomyosin and so forth. Uh, Bretomyosin. Where do you think you're going next? Everywhere. That doesn't That's make... a cool thing. You know, I... You're not going to make any Australian beer. I know that. Uh, no, we have to go to Canada to do that. Uh, wow. Because that's where it comes Smack. from. That's good. I like Smack. that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know, and I look forward to finding out, you know, perhaps some of the, the new things that could be done. 
uh, may come from one of our two breweries, and there would be the, the, the nice thing about San Diego is has been that we have no brewing tradition. So that's one of the things that is commonly looked at is how, how did San Diego become such a hotbed for brewing? Well, we had a clean slate. You know, we had a blank canvas that we got to just draw and paint whatever we wanted, finger paint, whatever we wanted, um, whatever we wanted. And I think that uh, I've heard there's too many hoppy beers out there. So evidently somebody... Blasphemy. Yeah, I mean, blasphemy. It, well, it's, it's a ridiculous statement, of course, because craft brewing has five percent. The uber hoppy beers are of that five percent are going to be a fractional less than one percent, and so that means in the grand scheme of beer in the United States, it is point zero something. You know, so th- those are people that just want to get themselves in a bundle about not, nothing. Um, so funky beers, sour beers, it doesn't matter. High, highly hop beers. Beers with lots of spices and interesting ingredients. It doesn't matter what it is. It all matters on how you do it. What's the result? Is the result something that you say, wow, this is amazing, or, you know, that's kind of interesting, but okay. And, and that is going to dictate where we all individually go. And just like Adam's beer, Hog Heaven, I had a previous conception that I didn't really care for beers with Columbus hops, but I had that one. Ooh, I like that one. In fact, I liked it a lot. So, I often have that light bulb turned on over my head where I didn't think that I liked a certain kind of approach, but then, certain enough, somebody came around and they did it amazingly, and I loved it. Smoked beers, yeah, smoked beers are another great one. And, and we, you know, like, uh, I always thought poorly of, uh, you know, beers with uh, peppers in them, hot peppers. Because right? there was this one, it was a fizzy yellow beer, and they put in a, the, you know, and it was just, it was a gimmicky thing. Until one of our guys, he, he brewed, a, he, we made some, he, he roasted his own chipotle peppers, you know, jalapenos that are roasted, and put them in the stone smoke porter. And so we have a special release from time to time, stone smoke porter with chipotle peppers. And oh, I love it. It's my favorite cask beer that we do, ever. It is brilliant, but it's, it's used in a way that, I hadn't previously contemplated. Yeah. Uh, are we going to see nails for cheap in any form ever again? Nope. <laughs> Unless Jeb Bush, for some reason, would become president, and then I would make it again when he would retire. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't so much I'm a really... celebration of the new one, it was a celebration of the going away of the old one? Is that what you're saying? Nowhere on that label does it say, you know, I want Obama to win. I was just like, it just says, basically, if you read it correctly, I'm glad somebody else is going to be president. Yeah. It has, it, it had, I didn't care who, you know. It didn't matter. We had half around town, but it's a, a mural, in a mural of uh, President Obama. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm really bad about, like, people ask me that anniversary beers, we're never going to make an anniversary beer again. I, we, we just like, I like to make new beers, you know. It's like, if I bring something and it does really well and then you put it into the, the regular fold, you know, you got this huge, you can't make them all. So, it's just, you know, one and done, one and done. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Did you find yourself with, uh, with new and different ingredients in the face of the, the hop shortage? Well, that's precisely what we did with the bitter chocolate oatmeal stout. Uh, other than that, we we had hop contracts that allowed us to keep brewing the beers that we brew according to our recipes. That we, we didn't have to change any recipes. In fact, we we had a, a meeting early on when this was all coming to light that there was quite a crisis uh, in the hop uh, availability, and we made the conscious decision that we were not going to change the recipes. We would just pull back on volume if we had to. Uh, in the case of the uh, one of the beers that we're serving out on the main floor of uh, Saber tonight, the Stone Sublimely Self-Righteous Ale, which uh, some of you may have had a chance to, to try as our Stone 11th anniversary, and we brought that one back. Uh, we are limited in the amount of hops that we can get. So Amarillo is, is a big hop character for it, and it's also the main uh, hop for the Stone Levitation Ale which is our 4.4% uh, very modest ABV beer, um, we may not be able to get it, get access to that hop enough to brew to demand, in which case we'll, we'll be uh, scarce as a result. 
All right. Well, great job, guys. I'd like to remind everyone to grab a, a, a DVD and a sticker on your way out. The also, the sticker says uh, yellow beer is for wussies, I believe. Fizzy yellow beer is for wussies, yeah. I just wanted to hear it in your voice. Uh-huh. <laughs> It'll be forever on uh, Craft Beer Radio, right? Um, so... Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, they're not going to serve any beer downstairs till 7.30. And I'm pretty sure there's a two-ounce line on your glass. And I'm not saying you should fill up uh, the two ounces on here before you walk out. But I'm not saying you shouldn't either. Um, so uh, in any case, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Oh, yeah, i got to take a, a, a Twitter picture with, uh, with uh, Adam and I and with you guys. Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah from the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get a-